Welcome to the Nourish Wrap Podcast, hosted by two passionate clinical nutritionists whose mission is to educate, inspire, and empower people to lead a more nourishing life. Katie and Jessica value evidence-based practice, holistic healing approaches, and practical health advice, all while having fun along the way. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Nourish Wrap. Um, this is episode number eight. Yeah, very excited about the next few episodes actually because we're delving right into the foodie space. So bringing, um, talking about topics um, related to food and essentially t- looking at um, food from paddock to plate. Hey. Yep. So we're actually here this morning. We're going to be focusing on dairy today to launch um, this mini series off. Um, and we're really lucky to be joined by Alessandro um, Motta, who is the owner of Casa Malta um, Mozzarella Cheese. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today, Alessandro. No, that's okay. Thank you for having me. Um, and we are going to be talking all things cheese and all things dairy. So I guess we could start off just by just... You know, dairy is such a hot topic in yes. the nutrition space, yeah. isn't it? Everyone's going dairy-free, people are reacting to um, dairy, and so I think it's going to be a really awesome podcast to get some real good insight into what this space is actually all about, yeah. So, shall we get started? Sounds good. So, Alessandra, let's start by, maybe you could give us um, a little bit of background about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you're only 26 and you've got a factory and you make your own cheese. So, maybe tell us how you got to this place in the first place. So, I got involved uh, in cheese mainly because when I came here from Rome uh, at 11, my diet was uh, very much focused on dairy a lot uh, because in Italy, apart from mozzarella being my favorite cheese, there's a lot of different cheeses which are fresh in, were fresh in my diet, okay. like stracchino, fior di latte, burrata, so they're all, all fresh cheeses I enjoyed personally. And so my aim when I came here, and I didn't come here for this, but I was 11 obviously, so I didn't really have I'm going to make cheese for the rest of my life. But <laughs> obviously, I then started thinking, because I couldn't find the same quality things that I was used to when I was growing up, I thought maybe I should give it a crack just to for myself, to have it, to eat it, really. That was the aim at the start. Cool. And then from then on, it just uh, sort of uh, unfolded from there, very sort of not not planned. Okay. If you, yeah. It, awesome. It did not, yeah. With no vision... As such, when I, in the early days that I was going to have a business and I was going to make it available for other people to have. Uh, so okay. but, uh, I enjoy this now. Fantastic. So that everyone can experience what okay. I can find here. So you run a factory. You've got several people helping you make cheese and you supply to a number of restaurants? Yes. Or... Yes. Okay. So that's our main core business is wholesaling. At the moment, we are trying a lot to engage people uh, personally, uh, especially in the milk front. Okay. uh, Because there's a lot of talk out there about uh, different milks and how they, as you were saying, react to people and things like that. And Mm. we try and keep it as organic and wholesome as possible to the roots of how these products were made. Okay. That's a great little segue there. So let's start talking about that process from 
the milk to the cheese and um even from the cows to oh, yeah, the milk. Yeah, even that. Yeah. Like on that yeah. level. Yeah. So uh, the cows being uh, mammals, obviously, they produce uh, milk. Now, historically speaking, we have been farming for billions of years and obviously our diet progressed from there with, uh, you know, meat, dairy and things like things that were available. And obviously we've built from that and cow being in Europe anyway, because obviously we all, in Australia, we all come from Europe. Yeah. From one stage or another. Yeah. Uh, even in America and things like that. Our, our Western culture is, was based in Europe. Okay, so yeah. obviously the Western culture at the time in Europe, uh, with, you know, we're talking uh, probably, you know, the 10th century and things like that were built on dairy Yep. Cows. So we've been having dairy for a pretty long time. Yes. And uh, I mean, the animals were firstly just uh, used for the, to plow the ground. And so... Yeah, people not wanting to waste anything. There was no refrigeration, nothing. Obviously, people took whatever they could from these animals. Yeah, uh, and yeah. one of them being milk. Now, cows are the more readily available because of how our culture, um, because cows were the biggest animals that they they were in Europe at the time before the buffaloes came from Philippines and uh, India. Okay, in Italy anyway. Uh, and so cows were good beefy animals that could do the work in the farm. Yeah. That's the reason why Yeah, sure. we have more, yeah. So do you think that some of the issues people are seeing around dairy these days is because it's more processed than it should be? Um, is there a difference between the way you would treat your milk? Like say I walked up to your shop today and bought a litre of milk. Mm versus what I might get from the supermarket if I paid $2. Yeah. 100%. Now, the reason being is because, look, just to give you a bit of background, I worked for Paul's Milk for four years in yep. the laboratory. Oh, yeah. And uh, we used to do tests for mainly microbiology. And I, do, I did chemical, meaning, not that there's chemical in milk, but the composition yeah, of, of the milk. And now these specs are very very strict yeah in regards to the australian standard and also to adhere to the label now the problem is this that mainly uh people want always consistency and we all like this we all love consistency but at the same time we want also the artisan factor well to be honest with you you cannot have both all the time okay now, many people, there was in the 2000s anyway, when I came here, I remember many people being fixated with the nutritional panels on the labels and taking them as gospel sort of, of thing. Of course, yeah. And obviously, industries, to be able to adhere to that, they had to do tests and they had to standardize things. Now, standardization for anything is tempering with the product in itself. Of course. And that, unfortunately, brings to consequences which are later found that uh-huh. no one talks about. Okay, Homogenization, for example. Yeah. Homogenization is a simple process that no one thought, oh, it's going to make people sick. But the reality is that what happens is that a simple process just by not adding anything, but just uh, putting under pressure the milk and the globules, they actually break down in smaller particles, which then surround the uh, cethane oxidase, oxidase, which is a enzyme found in our liver and in the cow's milk, which cannot, uh, which is then digested, unfortunately, into a bloodstream. And that 
enzyme in particular uh-huh. actually breaks down uh, proteins, which uh, means if it goes directly okay. into your bloodstreams, it starts damaging and you, you get irritations wow. okay, so in you your get bowels. That that's right. And that's why many people are going, oh, you know, homogenization is bad. But homogenization was brought in because people wanted a standard product. And they wanted smoothness and everything. That's yeah. right. Basically, homogenization is essentially like the shaking of the milk, right? To kind of make it consistent. Exactly. And make it all down. the same size yep. globules because when they come from the cow, they're all different and okay. they're naturally yep. there like that. Yep. And so, yeah. Mm. And it separates easily, doesn't it? If That's it's not it. Hom- and the problem is there's shelf life issues Yeah. because obviously that fat on top goes off quicker than yeah. the actual yep. milk. So... There's all these sorts of things. So I've always noticed, like, I tend to buy sort of, like, Baramba Organics or mm. Scenic Rim or, yes. you know, well, I'll come up and get your milk yep. now. Like, they usually have a crema on top. That's so those it. more artisan milks, they're less homogenized than what They're you not homogenized at all. Oh, yeah, of course, a lot of them aren't. So do you homogenize no. your milk? Okay. No, no. So for people who might be having issues with dairy that are listening and they maybe want to reintroduce it or trial it perhaps looking at you know an organic milk or an artisan milk um that isn't homogenized is the first step because the proteins are still intact Mm. yes and it may be easier to digest so sometimes it's not just the lactose or something like that but it's the processing yes and part of the processing apart from homogenization to make it standardized you have to add things that are part of the milk so legally Farmalat, dairy farmers, all the big companies don't actually have to list the components that they put inside that batch of milk because it comes from the milk itself. So, ah. for example, skim milk powder. Yeah. If the cow, because the cows are not machines, they're never going to give you yeah. the exact uh, parameters that Parmalat needs to follow through or other big companies to enable the label to be exactly the same. Or yeah. In regards to that, there's obviously Australian standards for sure. uh, fat contents of, of each milk. So in order for us uh, as consumers to always be, because that's a problem, people want to always be reassured that everything is perfect, done in a yeah. certain way. This has 2% fat. This exactly. This has 8% protein. And unfortunately, yeah. you have to tamper with it. I mean, you can't have both. Like, yeah. no, now, the cow, there's times where I remember testing for raw milk, uh, because obviously it comes raw from the farm, and uh, some some silos were 4.4% fat and some were like 3.2 it just depended on the cows okay. and it depended on the season depended on what they gave them to eat yeah yeah but like kind of or Paul's can't afford or dairy farmers cannot afford for people to sort of have you know have that in a sense yep. and so in the end what they do is they tamper with it so that they they can Standardize it. That's right. So, yeah. like, uh, for example, they put, as I said, skim milk powders to put the proteins up when the season of the protein goes down. Yeah, okay. They put cream in order to... So, right. for example, the farmhouse gold, yep. that's full of cream. You know, right. Really. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, this is the reality of it. Now, okay. we don't put anything. We yeah. literally take it, pasteurize it, and that's it. Okay, so you pasteurize your milk yes. on site. Yes. Do you... I, I understand pasteurization has a minimum standard in yeah. Australia. Yeah. And then my understanding is that some companies will heavily pasteurize their products yeah. to extend the shelf life. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. That's correct. So the minimum is 
73 degrees, 72.5 actually for 30 seconds. Can we just um, yeah. check in here and what is actually pasteurization? Yeah. Great just question. for our listeners. Okay, pasteurization is uh, a guy called Pasteur who invented this process, which was heating the milk in order to prolong shelf life. That was the only use at the time. As in to kill bacteria in the milk? To reduce. It does not, it kills them, but. It, there's still cell counts in there. There's still things. That's why yeah. it goes off. Otherwise, if it was completely clean, it shouldn't go off. Of yeah. course, yeah. But yep. it does. Yeah, eventually. Uh, eventually, whether it's how clean or how dirty, depending. So it reduces the bacteria levels to human consumption. Yes, and okay. it kills the mainstream bacteria, which are usually uh, pathogens of, they're very dangerous. Yeah, there is a lot of fear around that, isn't there, with unpasteurized And I think milk? in the culture here in Australia, there should be, because farms are not the standard of farming of uh, uh, any type of milk is not uh, very strict in the cleanliness, only because the culture is, oh, well, it's going to get pasteurized. So yeah, yeah. We, who, yeah. No one really yeah. minds in a sense in that respect, but in some countries in Europe and there's, for example, in Switzerland, um, ger the German one, there's the if you actually see the cell count is actually the same of the one that is pasteurized here so, as a raw. Product. Okay. Ah, oh, wow. So yeah, we had this chat the other day when I came into the shop. I think um, like what Alessandra is saying is that in Europe, because raw milk is more widely accepted, the farms are very careful with how they, you know, their standards are very high. They're very clean. In Australia, unpasteurized dairy is illegal. So the farms have lowest cleanliness standards because they know the product is going to be pasteurized anyway. So if you go to Europe and have raw milk, it's probably similar to our version of pasteurized milk. Depending right? on which country. Yeah, One of, of them course. I know very well is Switzerland that are very in some parts. And obviously that's the thing. In the past, it never used to be a problem because everyone knew their farmer. Yes, yeah, that's you right. see, there was so that connection. now how to because the industry is so large and uh, so commercialized, you obviously as a consumer, you're not going to be able to know what the farmer is actually yeah. doing yeah. or what their standards are, yeah. and uh, whether yeah. So okay, so you we were talking about your products and how you pasteurize on site. Do you obviously you meet? Australian standards yep. do you pasteurize would your milk be pasteurized less than say something people might pay two dollars a liter for in the supermarkets or is it hard to say no it's not well it is in a sense that uh, obviously I don't know what every factory does because obviously their standards change and their processes change throughout the years so but minimal standards are 73.5 uh, for 30 seconds or 63 for 30 minutes or 65 for 20 minutes. Okay, right. So there's three ways. Now, there's the lighter way, which we do, which is 65 for uh, 20, uh, but we also do for, uh, that's for the cheese. Now, that, that's just to preserve some of the protein uh, structure. Okay. Okay, now, because of the, the curdling and the calcium, the calcium really gets uh, gets hit when you start going to 73. Okay, so do you think some of those... We, we more... sit in the cheese because the cheese doesn't come as strong, the curd. Right. And the, the, usually the curd comes 
pretty much is, is bonded the, the proteins by the calcium molecule. So if the calcium right. is dissociated or it's disappeared, right. then the, the curve is not as strong Okay. connected. So, so um, like you said, homogenization has an effect directly on the structure of the milk and like the nutritional content. Mm. What effect does pasteurization have? So as I said, pasteurization has uh, calcium, magnesium, most of the vitamins are gone. As in pasteurization destroys those? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What uh, about if it's pasteurized gently like you do? Are some of them preserved? Some, but not okay. all. As I've said, it, pasteurization, I mean, vitamins are very sensitive. Yes. You know, yeah, for yeah. example, vitamin C, vitamin yes. D, vitamin A, they're like, if you, if you pasteurize it, unfortunately, most of it is gone already. Okay. okay. So, unfortunately, though, spoken as, you know, in light of this, uh, obviously, because of uh, the type of process we adhere or culture of milk from farming to uh, processing unfortunately it's not uh, something I would even personally think of to just uh, even ask to sell it raw yeah if you know what I'm saying so I'd rather say maybe miss out on those yeah, and not die absolutely. yeah no not risk. die <laughs> no, well, no I mean there are really seriously like there are huge risks uh, especially with the way the culture is here of milk you know, yeah. from the farm yeah where listeria and listeria can it's not common but if you if it's there yeah th- th- there needs to be in order for us to do this there needs to be a um a cooperation from the farmer that would like to test for these things you mean prior. if we were to consume raw milk you mean yes. yeah okay all right so um, one, we talked about the, the vitamins potentially being affected by pasteurization. This, I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but when they say milk has 300 milligrams of magnesium per glass or whatever, is that what it would have in its raw form or what it has in, in its pasteurized no, form? No, that's what it has in that bottle or in that oh, okay. batch. And if they, for example, if you get, uh, you know, milks that say there's vitamin, you know, vitamin A in this one, and there's vitamin D, except usually they add them. I remember uh, Palmer, yeah. like, you know the trim, AD? Yes. Okay, that's added. Yeah. Right. That's because it, it's, because also the vitamin A is actually in the fat. So of the course. trim. Yeah. So because they're fat soluble vitamins. Yeah. A and D are fat soluble. So when they trim it, obviously most of it goes away, but then people still want the uh, vitamins and so they put them back in. Even though they're not going to absorb it very well because it's low fat and well, they need the fat as a carrier. It's like um, the white bread, you know, when they strip that of all the fiber and then they add in all the nutrients. They add synthetic yeah. fiber, yeah. Um, but I'm interested with pasteurization. You talk about the vitamins and minerals, but does it denature the protein in any way? Because the protein is yes. linked with the immune response. Yes, in the yes, body. it does. If you go over ninety-five, which is no one does that. Oh, okay. Okay. So in a really, which is actually isn't a good way if you're making yogurt. If you denature the protein in yogurt, it actually sucks the liquid and so it makes it thicker. That's oh, a natural right. way of doing it. Okay. That's how I do the yogurt naturally without adding any gums or anything okay so does that mean that the yogurt is harder to digest because it's look i'm not sure okay because i don't i just know that what happens is the the protein opens and wants more liquid okay and it's drier now i don't know whether okay yeah i don't know whether it has an effect on the absorption or anything like that uh obviously 
only being interested in the sort of dairy, uh, you know, um, processing things. I haven't really researched that, to be honest. So Okay. So, I mean, I think it comes back to a lot of the principles that we talk about here anyway on the Nourished Wrap, you know, we try to encourage people to get back to eating real food as close to nature as possible, you know, even shopping locally. Um, It's I mean, there's a big movement now. It's even in Brisbane, you can still kind of get to know the farm where your products are coming from. And, you know, that you're a good example of that. Mm. We're 15 minutes from the CBD. Mm. Um, You're bringing raw milk on site, pasteurizing it as gently as you can. Um, not homogenizing it and selling it in glass bottles, which is the way you know our parents used to do. So um, these sorts of options are out there for people, and I think some people write off dairy and they write off whole food groups, bread, that sort of thing, yeah. without actually looking at well, maybe it's the processing and maybe it's the fact that that particular product has become very far from its original state. Well, that's right. Even just, you know, talking with Alessandra now, we can see homogenization and pasteurization, how much it's stripped. It's, you know, it's raw form, you know. It's a, it's a different product, essentially. Yeah, it? absolutely. Mm-hmm. So your real passion, Alessandro, is cheese. So maybe you can give us a little bit of insight into... Like, let's say I went up and bought your mozzarella at the factory versus what I might get in a supermarket and how that might differ. Well, first of all, uh, our products are made by by hand, so uh, they're cared for and carefully made in small batches, obviously, as well. And as we spoke about the tempering of milk, there's none of that. Mm -hmm. So we get it straight from the farm, process it, and uh, it comes always a little bit different, but that's our sort of niche that's what we want um it differs in the fact that mozzarella traditionally is made from uh, buffalo or cow's milk depending on the region and uh, it's kept in a brine yes and it's not dried that's another type which is not called mozzarella okay it's called like scamorza or filone or pizzarella something else for like pizzas usually to melt yeah That's how it differs. So how long does it take from getting raw milk in your factory to producing mozzarella? Uh, so the whole process, including packaging, is probably eight hours. Oh, okay. It's not very long. It's, no. And also, it's because it's fresh, it needs to be consumed fresh. Of course, it's not an aged cheese. No, not yeah. at all. So the fresher, the better. Uh. And mozzarella being a softer cheese... Yep. Um, it's got a decent lactose content, doesn't it? Yes. So it's got 1.5 uh, uh, grams per 100 mil, 100 grams, obviously, because it's weight to weight, um, okay. of uh, lactose mm. in the buffalo. Okay. In the cow's got 3.5. Right, okay. It's a lot higher. Mm. Right, okay. There, yeah, there are options for lactose-free buffalo, which is a bit easier to get. But, uh, yeah, so that's really where it stands with the buffalo. Now, I just want to also talk, touch just very quickly on about the fact that people, when doctors say I can't have soft cheeses, yeah. people think mozzarella is one of them. Yeah. Like okay. the one that I saw. It's not at all because our cheese, apart from it being pasteurized at the origin, meaning the milk... It is also repasteurized in a sense just because purely of the process because we cook the curd at 100 degrees when we melt it because you need to melt it in order to 
uh, be malleable in order to make it into balls. Oh, Whereas okay. the camembert, breeze, those are the ones, and the aged cheeses, which are fresh, they're uncooked curds, which are uh. just literally pasteurize the milk and then you age it in a 85% humidity, 14 degrees for a week. And mm. that can obviously lead to more contamination. Whereas okay. we cook it and then we okay. put it into the brine and that's it. So for high-risk populations like pregnant women, yeah. that's right, yeah. aged, um, elderly, that sort of thing, who are recommended maybe not elderly, more the camembert and brie. No, sorry, I'm elderly ones. people. Oh yes, so right. people who sorry. have been advised by doctors yes. look because you're a high-risk of that's infection. Right. Okay, so mozzarella doesn't fit into that no, warning not category because just because it's soft. But unfortunately, the thought of soft until now is still the obviously the camembert for doctors especially camembert and brie and all that yeah but yeah. burrata uh mozzarella buffalo mozzarella all these things they're all cooked curds and, and they're not aged okay they, they, that type of aging process of the brie and camembert is very risky in a sense because it's uh, uh high humidity 85 yeah. and low Temp- I mean, high temperature, like 14 degrees. Yeah. Anything could grow there if you contaminate yeah. it. But it tastes really good. Mm. It does. I feel like cheese now. No, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And there's just more risk, that's all on yeah, it. Yeah, of course. And, and yeah, and, and cured meats and stuff. So. What's the difference between the buffalo milk versus the cow's milk? So and they're two different species, uh, obviously. Yep. of uh, They're the same sort of family. Uh, as we touched on before, they come from Philippines and India. And they've been transported to Darwin here and in Italy, um, 10th century in here, 1886, I think. So your buffalo milk comes from Darwin? No, they're from Cairns, but they've been crossed with Italians and Darwinians sort of uh, cows. The breed of them, is it? Oh, okay. They've been crossed, yeah, sorry. They've been crossed in the breed. The buffalo have been crossed. Yes, these ones that that I get the milk from. Okay. Uh, and it differs in fat and yep. uh, proteins. Uh, there's um, fat is uh, eight to ten uh, protein percent, uh, percent. Yep. in buffalo. In buffalo, yep. And protein is uh, five and a half to seven and a half percent protein in the buffalo. Cow usually normally is between three point five to four percent fat. And uh, 3.5 to 3.8 protein. Right. Okay, so it's higher. In- Quite higher. Now, the, there's a lot less um, um, monosaturated fats in... Uh, sorry, polysaturated fats in the in the buffalo. Okay. Ah. Instead of the cow. The cow has higher... F- the, the buffalo has higher fats, but they're better for you. Whereas yeah. the yeah. cow has lower, but there's more of... Saturated, more saturated. So they're different fat profiles. Okay. This brings up another question, actually. Um, You know, there's all this um, hype about the A2 milk being a little bit more easier to digest. Maybe you could give our listeners a rundown of what, if you know, what the difference is between A2 protein and that A1. That that's just part of our immune system. How, like, sorry, of of our system, how we digest these these proteins now. Unfortunately, uh, the dairy industry didn't realize that this A1 uh, had an effect on uh, people, how they digest it, and they can't. Whereas the A2, they can 
and that's why many people have problems with A1. Is that because we have the enzyme that breaks down the A2 that's protein? Okay. There's more of it anyway. There's still you can, because it's usually they're a bit mixed. But so in the in the protein um, profile of these milks, there's a combination of a both. little bit, yes. But the, what happened is throughout the ages, uh, without us, well, the dairy industry realizing they've actually bred out the A2. Ah. A2 are from Guernsey cows. Guernsey, is yeah. that right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So there are more Guernsey cows in Queensland anyway. Yeah. Just to touch on that. Uh, Buffalo is completely A2. Um, oh. Completely. There we go. That's because they're not available. They're not as uh, bred out. Like in a sense, there's so many breeds and so many breeders of cow here in Australia or in Europe yeah. that, that, that there's been a huge sort of obviously breeding out without realizing. Whereas buffaloes have, have sort of not, uh, they're not untouched, but they're just not as. Tampered. That's with. right, yeah. just because there's not as common the milk that you drink. Yeah. For okay. It. But so the protein from buffalo is A2, yes. higher in protein, higher in fat. So it's another option for people to try, yeah, perhaps, to try, who yeah. can't tolerate cows. That's it. Um, and you use buffalo milk to make coffees, don't you? Yeah, we do as well, Yum. yes. That would be very creamy. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, so we're almost at the end of today's episode, Alessandro, but I wanted to just ask you as, you know, a, obviously a provider and very, being very passionate about food, maybe you could give enlighten our listeners about one of the, one of your favorite ways to use your cheese. Okay. So <laughs> Caprese, which is Caprese salad coming from Capri near Naples. That's why it's called like that. It's, uh, Tomatoes, olive oil, and basil with the buffalo mozzarella, with the burrata, which is the cream scented mozzarella, figs, prosciutto, and vinaigrette. Oh my god! Uh, yum. Yeah, and the um, and then obviously you uh, have the fior di latte, which is uh, very much just on its own with bread and some tomatoes because it's just so sweet hang on which one was that fior di latte which is the cow mozzarella oh okay it's the bocconcini more oh, more yeah. referred to as bocconcini yes, here we know, yeah. the reason why it's called fior di latte is because it's a bigger bocconcini usually a small okay. this one's a bigger bowl and it means flour of the milk okay and you say you should have that with bread and tomatoes mm-hmm. so the cow's mozzarella bread and tomatoes the the figurata. The fig prosciutto is the burrata. Burrata. Uh, with vinaigrette. Yum. And then you've got the cabrese salad, which is buffalo mozzarella. Another favorite way for me to have the buffalo is have it on a pizza, not melted. So I melt some fior di latte, yeah. the cow mozzarella, and then take it out of the oven and just crack the buffalo mozzarella, which is very moist on top. With I, some basil. Oh, I absolutely love that Italian food philosophy of how simple these mm. meals and are. That's the thing. We, <sighs> excuse me, but we bastardize so many things the way we cook. Like you look at the way people melt plastic cheese yeah. over everything. There's yeah. a big difference between eating that and eating something that's literally from the farm and turned into a product in eight hours mm. and used in moderation with lots of other fresh vegetables and, and fruits. simple other ingredients, yeah. you know? There is a culture here of pizza where people over top. Yes. And that also is a bit of the 
too much consumption of too many things. Yeah, in of a course. Sense, probably yeah. so. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got a few people coming over tomorrow, so I might duck up and get some cheese. <laughs> yeah. Um. But thank you, Alessandro, for That's joining okay. us. Um. Yes. So just to wrap up today. Um, Jess just wants to remind you of our five principles on the nourished wrap. So that is to um, eat whole foods most of the time, move your body um, in an enjoyable way, focus on your sleep, switch off every day, and... Oh, we did <laughs> We've had a mind blank. Oh. Um, you guys should know the fifth one by now. So um, thank you so much for joining us today. On, on that note, we'll uh, see you next time. Yeah, we'll see you next time for the Thanks second again, edition. Thanks again, Alessandro. That's okay. That was awesome. Pleasure.